0: It's a real honor uh, for me to be here with you. Uh, This morning, I get to pastor a church down in Arlington, uh, Virginia, uh, a place called Grace Hill. uh, No, a place called Restoration City. (laughs) Wait. Wait. Wait, let me check my notes. Um, where do I work? Um, a place called Restoration City. Uh, they got to be a really small part of planting uh, this church. I've known Alan and Kim for years and known Nick for years and just thrilled to see what God um, is doing here. It's always an exciting Sunday for me when I get to be here. Uh, it's always an exciting Sunday for our church because Alan is down there and I think they like him better. So um, they're having a great time at home. Um, all of which is to say, by the way, if you're just visiting this morning and you don't track with the sermon and come back next week. The real guy will be here and he is younger, smarter, funnier, in better shape and just all around a nicer person. So you should come back uh, next Sunday. But what we're gonna talk about this morning is something that's gonna come to us out of the Old Testament. But before we look at God's word together, I wanna take a minute and set it up. Like I said, our church is down in Arlington and my wife and I, I lived in the city of Alexandria for uh, the first couple of years of our church plant. And very early on, um, I, like all good church planters, uh, worked out of a, a coffee shop, right? Um, tried not to be the guy that ordered the cheapest coffee on the menu and then set up camp for nine hours, um, but I would work out of this one coffee shop. And very quickly, um, I started to see, it was a coffee shop in our neighborhood. It had just opened, and there was literally nobody else there. So I kind of had the place to myself. And all of a sudden, this other guy started to show up. And we got talking, and he kind of introduced himself and told me his story. And he was um, an Alexandria City police officer, but he was um, not, not gonna be working for a couple of weeks. He had gotten injured on the job, so he was kind of hanging out and found out I was a pastor. Of a church and started connecting. He started coming to the church and his wife and all that sort of stuff. And he and I just became really good friends. And um, I would always kind of question him about his job and what's it like and all that kind of stuff. And one day he came to me and he said, "Look, man, you just need to come and do a ride along with me." And I was like, "Ooh, that sounds like fun." I grew up watching Cops. Let's do it. Um, And he was like, "Yeah, it's going to be great. You're going to come with me." For 12 hours. You're gonna go to, I think they call it roll call in the morning, and then wherever I go, you go, you're just gonna be my shadow for the day, which I was like, wow, that sounds really, really, really interesting. So we set the day up, got it on the calendar, met him. He actually picked me up. I think he was afraid I was going to be late. So he picked me up at our house and we were together for 12 day, you know, 12 hours. And as we got done the roll call meeting, he kind of said, look, man, here's a couple rules. There's a few very specific scenarios where you would not be able to come with me. If that happens, I will pull over to the side of the road. You will get out of the car as fast as humanly possible. You will stay there and somebody will come back and pick you up later. And I was like, okay, um, sounds good. Can I bring my phone? He's like, you bring whatever you want. Just get out of the car. I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll be happy to get out of the car. He goes, other than that though, this is not some 12 hour joy ride for you. You're working. Whatever I do, you do. So if I get out of the car, you get out of the car. If I go in, so I'm thinking I get to be with him all day long. First thing we do, we had to go do a kind of a, a wellness checkup on somebody, family hadn't heard from them for a while and they were a known drug users so who had to kind of go and see how they're doing, uh, which was so weird because as we're getting there to check out, out this house and figure out what's going on with this person, uh, a friend of my wife's, she and her husband didn't come to the church yet, but a friend of my wife's live like right next door to the house. So she sees me um, with this team of Alexandria City police officers trying to do a well check over there and she's texting my wife, she's like, wait, shut up, your husband is a pastor and a an undercover cop that is so cool and Laura's like no It's not that cool. Um, He's just hanging out with a friend. So, you know, that started that way. We went and, you know, talked to a couple people that thought somebody had uh, broken into their car overnight. A car broke down on the GW Parkway. So we got out and we pushed it together. We chased a drunk driver that was coming out of a bar in Old Town at two in the afternoon. We went uh, because there was a little disturbance in the Alexandria City Jail and he was going to be a part of, you know, handling that. But that got handled before we got there, which was a relief to me. Um, There was one time somebody tripped the silent alarm in a 7-Eleven, so we got to put the sirens and the speaker and the sound on and go cruising over there. That was exhilarating. That turned out to be a false alarm. Turns out there's actually a lot of false alarms in the city of Alexandria. But um, we're doing all of this, and we get to the end of the day, and it's about November, by the way. Um, November, about 5, 6 o'clock, in the afternoon, so pretty much uh, dark, and I mean cruising towards um, dark at that point, and cold. It was a cold day. And we are going around one of the public housing projects in Alexandria. And we're, we're going there because there, there had been um, a homicide a couple of days earlier, so they were definitely um, increasing patrols just to keep everything safe, but there were also a couple guys that they were looking at um, in connection to that, and just giving the area a little bit more. Attention. And there was a gentleman there um, who was of interest to them in events that had been occurring over there. Um, And he had a car that was brand new, and he was doing a couple other things that really interested my friend. So he decided we would stop. And have a conversation with this guy. Uh, This guy was incredibly well known uh, to the local police department. Probably, I mean, I'm not kidding if I say probably one of the strongest human beings um, I have ever seen in my life. I mean, this guy, I I I don't even know what he bench presses or how he works out or what he does, but I mean, I'm just like, oh my word like I'm just gonna sit in the car and be astonished at the physical specimen that is standing over there um, and my friend goes to get out of the car he's like what are you doing I was like oh it's cold I'll just I'm just gonna hang out here he's like no I told you you I get out of the car you get out of the car I was like yeah I just I, yeah I mean I, I, it's not a good idea and I tried, I did, I literally, I knew him well enough that I could like sort of faux but real play the pastor card. I was like, I'll just sit here and pray. And he was like, get out of the car. And I'm like, well, what are we gonna do? He's like, we're just gonna have a conversation. We're gonna see how it goes. And He's playing his music loud. So that's, that's enough for us to just stop and have a conversation and we'll see what else he's got in the car and all that kind of stuff. And you can see the guy sees us coming and he starts Um, greeting us in words that are not church appropriate. And it's clear that he doesn't want to have a conversation. And also you feel things are getting a little more tense. And my friend kind of radios into his headquarters like, hey, I've got this guy stopped and we're going to kind of talk and see what happens. I don't think I need backup yet, but if I call, you know, come quickly. Um, And I'm kind of there, I'm like, wait, is this real? Like, what exactly is the, I really should be in the car. And he was like, he's like, no, get over here. But as we're walking, he's like, just stay a couple feet behind me. And I'm like, yeah, good, good. I am, I'm great with that. I am happy to be a couple of feet behind you. There's no chance that I'm going to get ahead of you right now. There's no chance that I'm going to be like, hey, you hang back. I will handle this. Right? I, I will get to the bottom of it. I will investigate. You know, you hang out. I will take the lead here, right? It would have been craziness. Now, maybe you're big and strong and tough and macho and judging me in your heart. And if that's the case, praise God for you. And we're delighted that you're here. Uh, but I don't think you would have felt that way in the moment. In the moment, you would have been with me, being like, I will be as far behind as you would like to go. You can be four steps ahead. If you feel better being five steps ahead, that's good with me. Six steps works, 10 steps works. I'm happy to be behind you, It just would have felt crazy to get ahead of him in that moment, yet so often in our relationship with God, we have absolutely no problem getting out ahead of him. We have absolutely no problem trying to be the lead horse in the story, and in fact, it seems like we spend a lot of our time trying to urge God to catch up, and we want him to catch up with us so he can bless whatever it is that we've dove into all on our own, That we're out there kind of on a limb wondering where God is, wondering when God is going to bail us out, wondering what's wrong with the equation. And so many times the answer is God is saying, look, you're out on a limb that I never told you to get out on. You're so far ahead of me that you're into territory I never told you to take. You're trying to do things that I've not called you to do. You're trying to do them in your own power. You're trying to do them for your own glory. You're trying to do them because it seems logical to you. You're trying to do it because it seems right to you. But you got ahead of me. You failed to step back and ask what I wanted you to do. And my guess is we all struggle with that. If you don't, um, you are on a spiritual plane that is higher than David, who was the great king of Israel, because David struggled with this big time. And I would guess the more that you are wired as a leader, the more you are wired as kind of maybe that stereotypical DC, type A, take charge, get things done, I'm successful in my career, I'm a leader in my community, life kind of works for me sort of person, the more you probably struggle with this as well. We see the struggle for David in 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse one through seven, which I believe um, is not printed in your notebook, so Never mind, uh, but you can take notes along in this thing. You do have a Bible, though, floating around out there. Um, if not, we're gonna put the words up on the screen just to prove that I'm not making it up, but here's what happens with David. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter seven, and I'm just gonna read verses one through seven, and then we're gonna come back and kind of pick it apart, but it says this in verse one. Now, when the king, that's David, lived in his house And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan Any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And goes on to say a couple other things that we'll talk about a little bit later in the message. But you can kind of see what David's doing here. He has this idea that he wants to build a house for The Lord, he wants a permanent dwelling place, a permanent temple, a place where God could be worshiped, right? A a place where they'd have 24-7 access to space and not have to set up pipe and drapes and sound equipment just to put it in a church plant context, right? He wants a permanent house for God. And it seems like such a good idea until God says, yeah, (laughs) no, that's not what I want you to be doing. At all. And my question for us is how many times have we put ourselves into similar situations where we've gotten all spun up about what is a very good idea? We've gotten excited about something. All of the signs have pointed in the right direction. It has seemed incredibly obvious that we should do this thing. Kind of seems like a no brainer. If you'd run it by the people in your community group, they would have said, yeah, go for it. All signs pointed to go. The only thing we've forgotten to do is actually stop and inquire of the Lord and get his wisdom and his leading in his direction. Because really what we're going to see out of the text this morning is when we don't discipline ourselves, frankly, when we don't humble ourselves enough to slow down and to inquire of the Lord, we are putting ourselves at great risk for getting ahead of God. And getting ahead of God is always a dangerous place to be spiritually. It's a recipe for futility, it's a recipe for frustration, it's a recipe for spending hours or days or weeks or months trying to build something and wondering why nothing's coming of it, wondering why there's no fruit, and the answer is God never told you to do it in the first place. So my goal for us this morning is to develop an understanding of what it looks like to get ahead of God. Uh, really the way we're gonna talk about it is to look at three warning signs that you might be getting ahead of God. So we can kind of develop some self-awareness and say, hey, maybe this is one of those places where I am getting ahead of God. And then we're gonna spend a couple minutes at the end just talking about what do you do in those moments where you think you might be ahead of God. So 2 Samuel, that's our text for this morning. And when we look at these seven verses, we see very clearly what these warning signs are that you're getting ahead of God or you're at least in danger of getting ahead of God. The, the first is probably the most obvious. It's in some ways just another way of summarizing the basic plot of the story. But David assumes that a good thing is a God thing. Right? His, his initial idea, let's build a house for God, um, there's nothing wrong with that idea. Right. If you're waiting for me to pull out you know, the passage from Exodus that makes clear that he shouldn't have done that or, hey, this somehow violates this obscure portion of Deuteronomy or there's some reason he should have known better, it just doesn't exist. There is nothing wrong with the idea that he has here at all. In fact, there's a lot of background for the idea that he has here. Um, The Ark of God has been traveling. The Ark of God kind of was the home of the presence of God for the people of Israel, had been traveling in a tent since God had led Israel out of Egypt. That's what we read, the the Exodus narrative. Through the Red Sea and camping for 40 years and into the Promised Land and all of that. And God has been dwelling in a tent which seems sort of logically like an inadequate dwelling place for the almighty. It seems like, you know, if anybody deserves, you know, four walls and a roof, it should be God himself. Now, just to kind of advance the story a little bit, we read in Second Samuel 5 that when David became the king of Israel, another king, a guy named Hiram, who was king of Tyre, had built David a house. He actually sent um, the raw materials and the laborers necessary to build David a house. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of friendship. It was also a little bit of a power play, All right, Because when you build a house for a head of state, it's a little bit a way of saying, yeah, I wanna bless you, I want you to have an amazing house, and he, and he built David an incredible house, but it's also a way of saying, hey, You know, the greater blesses the lesser. I'm going to be happy to provide for you a house, right? It's kind of like, you know, if any of you were audacious enough to say, I'm going to build Jeff Bezos a house, you're like, oh, really? Wow, that's impressive. Um, You're like, oh, okay, you know, that's a pretty good claim to fame. You're like, oh, yeah, that that little shack out there in Loudoun, yeah, I built that for him. Yeah, just, you know, had a couple extra laborers and some cedar sent it out there and built that thing for him. Right, so there's a little power play going on, but it's also a like, hey, I wanna bless you, I wanna be a friend, uh, let's get off on, on the right foot kind of thing. So here's David living in this gorgeous mansion, probably the leading house of the day. He probably had the house that would have been featured on the Architectural Digest. He's there, and God's in a tent. God's been in a tent for a long time. And David's like, wait a minute, I'm here, he's there, Somebody built me a house. Maybe maybe I should pay it forward. Maybe it's time for me to build God a house. Not only that, but there's peace in the land. He doesn't have a battle to fight. The Philistines have kind of chilled out for a little bit. There's nothing that seems to be um, requiring the king's attention. So he's got some white space on his calendar. He's got some extra resources, he's got some extra time, everything's good in the land, God's in a tent, he's in a house, so what in the world could be wrong with this idea? So so he just goes for it. it. It's like he sees a good idea, and he automatically assumes it's what God wants him to be doing in that moment. Maybe David has a view of God that's similar to what a lot of us carry around in our heart. We know with our head that it's not true, But I think a lot of times in our heart, we feel like God is sort of this insatiable taskmaster who always has one more thing he wants you to do, and the only question is how badly you're going to disappoint him this week. Right, we kind of have this idea that God wants you to be in church every Sunday, which is true, uh, but he also wants you to be serving in kids, but he also wants you to be leading a community group, but he also wants you to be leading a mission trip, but he also wants you to be sharing Christ with your neighbor, which is true, but he also wants you to be sharing Christ at your office, which is true, but he also wants you to be doing something to foster kids in the area, but he also wants you to be adopting kids in the area, but he also wants you to be doing something for the homeless in the area, but he also wants you to be doing something for refugees in the area, but he also wants you to be a voice for social justice, but he also wants you to be involved in microfinance projects in Africa, and he also wants you to give a goat to a family member every year at Christmas, and he also wants you to be adopting compassion children, and he wants and he wants and he wants, and he's this unending string of of wants, right? And, And guys like me get really good at standing in front of groups of people and telling you that God wants just one more thing. We didn't even talk about giving. I left that one out. He wants that too. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you running away from basic Christian spiritual formation practices? Are you running away from basic spiritual disciplines? Not at all. Not at all. But I do think we have to have the wisdom to understand that God does not need you personally involved in every good thing that he is doing in the world. The, The far more important question is, God, what are you asking me to devote my time and my resources and my attention to What makes sense in this season of life for me? What makes sense with the way you've gifted me? What makes sense with the resources you've put at my disposal? What makes sense with the abilities that I have, with the passions that I have, with the experience that I have? God, what are you asking me to do rather than taking this kind of scattershot, limitless demands in the world? I know I'm supposed to be doing something about all of it, but I can't, so I'll just try to selectively disappoint God kind of way. We tend to think that way. We know it's wrong, right? I mean, nobody's going to say like, yeah, that's true. I got a Bible verse for that one. But we tend to think that way. We tend to feel that way in our heart. We just assume that God wants us involved in every good thing. But what the Lord is saying to Nathan that evening is that God never told David or Saul or any of the judges to build him a house absolutely nothing wrong with the idea. God just never told him to do it, right? It's the definition of God, of David getting ahead of God, right? And I'll just tell you, some of the worst experiences I've had as a leader have been when I have gotten ahead of God, right? When I have been involved in starting ministries or, not this church, uh, starting ministries Moving in directions, making budget decisions, making staffing decisions, you know, where I have thought that it was so obvious and so clear and such a no brainer that honestly, I failed to stop and ask God because it was just inherently obvious what anybody would do. And then I would get out into the middle of what was inherently obvious and it wouldn't be working. I'd be like, God, what am I doing wrong? And he's like, you're doing something I never, never told you to do. Right, don't assume that just because it's a good thing, it's a God thing. But there's a much deeper issue here. Right? David doesn't just, you know, David isn't just presumptive. Right? What David is also doing is settling for a secondhand spirituality. Notice a shift here. Here in 2 Samuel 7, David doesn't inquire of God. He inquires of Nathan, He doesn't go directly to God. He goes to the prophet. Now, admittedly, good place to go, right? Nathan is a a reliable prophet. In fact, Nathan is the one that ultimately confronts David when he sins with Bathsheba. So it's not that Nathan is a bad source here. Nathan's a good guy to go to, right? Nathan would be the equivalent of one of the elders here at Grace Hill, Right, Nathan would be the equivalent of one of the pastors here. So it's not, we're not casting aspersions on Nathan in any way. But notice what David's done. He's sort of delegated all this consult with God stuff to the professional. He's like, man, I got a kingdom to run, got a house to build, got all kinds of things happening. You're one of those God people, you're a prophet. Why don't you just figure out whether this is what I'm supposed to do or not? And what he thinks is, hey, well, I've kind of checked the God box. I mean, I, I did the honorable thing. I emailed my pastor. I, I, I texted my community group leader and said, hey, we got a decision coming. Would you be praying about it? Which is a good thing to do, right? That's part of how Alan and Nick and the other elders and your community group leaders serve you here. But it's not enough to say, oh, yeah, God God box check. Nick's praying about it. Cool. Now I can just go figure out what I need to do in my own wisdom and in my own understanding and in my own power. Secondhand spirituality is as dangerous as secondhand smoke. And we fall for it all the time. It's so tempting to think, I don't need to get into this book for myself. Because I pay other people to get into it for me. And then to serve it up in well packaged 30 minute three point sound bites. I don't need to figure out how to discern the will of God based on the 66 books that he's put into scripture. I'll just find a podcast for that. I'll just ingest that on my way into work. But I don't need to figure out how to get alone with God and hear the still small voice of the spirit. I'll just trust other people that have figured that out to do it on my behalf. I don't need to discipline myself to sit in silence before the Lord. I don't have time for that. I'll just text somebody who does and ask them to do it on my behalf. See, this whole question about getting ahead of God is a little bit about our pride, but it's also a lot about our relationship with Jesus or possibly lack thereof. Right? It's easy to get ahead of God. In fact, it's almost inevitable that you're gonna get ahead with God if you and God just have a five-minute check-in every morning. Lord, please, you know, keep my life between the guideposts today. Give me wisdom in the two o'clock meeting. Help my kids to grow up to love you and help me love my wife. And oh yeah, I also need to figure out how to answer that email. And if you could show me whether you want me to go to Chicago or not, that'd be great. Okay, amen. And i read a psalm and listen to a podcast. That, that's not enough. It's good. You're like, well, that's, that's, where I, that's where I am. Okay, great. Great. We can build with that, but don't assume that God wants to leave you there, right? The Bible does talk about praying without ceasing. The Bible does talk about developing the discipline of getting alone with God on a regular basis, of sitting in silence before the Lord, of submitting ourselves to his authority and saying, God, I need to know for myself. It's not enough for me to know that Alan thinks it's what I'm supposed to do. I wanna know, Jesus, is this what you want me to do? God, what would you have me do here? Right? And we want God to be a microwave Twitter kind of God. Right, We want, oh, hey, I actually asked, and he better hook me up with an answer in about 33 and a half seconds, or I am moving on. And God often moves much slower than that. We want to figure out how to speed God up, but I promise you, if you're trying to figure out how to speed God up, that's a sign that you're already out ahead of him. Imagine if we had the trust and the faith to say, you know what, God, we'll do this at your pace, and I don't know what you want right now, but I'm going to sit here with you, and I'm going to ask that you would lead me, and I'm almost coming into it this morning with the assumption that you're not going to give me the full answer today, so I'm going to come back this afternoon, and I'm just going to sit in your presence for a few minutes, and I'm gonna ask again, what would you have me do? And maybe, maybe, maybe you'll bring something into my life that gives me wisdom, that gives me clarity. Maybe it'll be the still small voice of your spirit. Maybe it'll be through your word. Maybe it will be through wise counsel of somebody else at the church. Maybe it will be through circumstances. But God, I'm gonna keep asking. And if I don't get an answer today, guess what, I'm coming back tomorrow morning. And I'm coming back tomorrow afternoon. And my wife and I are going to pray about it tomorrow night. And then we'll do it tomorrow morning. And God, I just don't want to go without you. I just don't want to get ahead of you. And if that means I need to sit in neutral for a while, I'll do it. No, no. listen, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this is challenging for you. Because I will promise you, it's deeply challenging for me. I hate sitting in neutral. If I have a problem, I want to solve it. The faster, the better. Right? The quicker I can answer the email and tell you what to do, the better things go, at least according to my world. Right? The, the more decisive I can appear in a meeting, the, the more confident I feel as a leader. Right? The more I'm able to come into my home and talk to my wife and my kids and say, hey, you know, daddy knows best. The more I feel like I'm serving them well. Right? It, it feels it, it throws me off my balance a little bit to be like, hey, daddy doesn't exactly know what our family is supposed to do in this situation. Hey, you know, I, I realize, right? Y'all are looking at me in the meeting, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, and everything in me wants to make up an answer, but the honest answer is, I don't know, I haven't heard from the Lord yet. Because that sort of feels like I'm deficient spiritually. Why well, haven't you heard from the Lord? Isn't that your job? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Right? It, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to say, you know what, I'm not sure, maybe we just wait. And, and cultivate that relationship with Jesus and learn why it is that so many of David's psalms talk about waiting on the Lord. Why this is such a theme in this man's life, who, by the way, is one of the great warriors in human history, and is one of the great political leaders in human history, and is one of the great writers and poets in human history, was an accomplished musician, This guy was not a passive wimp of a man. This guy got things done. This guy led the nation of Israel and defeated enemies, but he also learned how to wait on the Lord. And perhaps it was in his waiting that he developed strength. Perhaps it was in his waiting that he heard from God and knew where God was leading him. Listen, walking by the Spirit of God requires prolonged time with the Spirit of God. Are we willing to slow our lives down enough to develop rhythms of being with Jesus where we have the space to hear his voice through the Spirit? By the way, just quick clarification, the Proverbs talk about wise counsel. It's not wrong to have asked Nathan. It's good to ask other people. Give me your wisdom, give me your insight. But if all we're doing is talking to each other, and we're not talking to God, man, we're on the wrong foot. But the big mistake he makes, the kind of soul level mistake, the heart level mistake that David makes, is he adopts an approach where he is more interested in doing for God than he is in receiving from God. Remember how I said earlier, there's a little bit of a power play with Hiram. Hey, I'll build you a house just to prove how great I I am. There's a little bit of that going on with David. David feels like God has been so gracious with him. David, I mean, God has selected him and made him king and was really helpful in that whole Goliath incident and has brought the ark back into Israel. And man, God has done so much for me. I just need to pay him back a little bit. Now it's time for me to do something for God. Right, The book of Acts is really clear though that God is not served by human hands. And anytime you and I put ourselves in a posture where we are trying to do for God, we're in enormously dangerous territory. Our job perpetually for all of our Christian life is to receive from God. That's all we do. We receive from God. That's really the point of the rest of chapter seven, because not only does God say through Nathan to David, look, I don't want you to build me a house, but he ups the ante pretty significantly. Right? If you're following along, go down to verse 11. God says, not only do I not want you to build me a house, he says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. God's like, you're not building me a house. I'll build you a house. The greater will bless the lesser. I don't need a house from you. I'm gonna build you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's talking about Solomon who does go on to build the temple of the Lord. So you're not gonna do it, David. Your son's gonna do it. I've got a plan for him and I've got a plan for you and he's gonna build the house and you're not gonna build the house. But man, this thing takes a turn at the back end of the verse and the throne of his kingdom forever. David's like, what in the world are you talking about? What is going on here? You're gonna establish a throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son what we call the Davidic covenant he comes firing back he's like I don't need you to build me a house your son's gonna build me a house but I'm gonna establish your son and there's gonna be somebody that comes from your family line whose throne is going to endure forever he's talking about Jesus he's saying David 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 let's slow down and get our relationship sorted back out again I am the one who does for you your job is to receive from me I have things planned for you that are so much beyond your ability to understand. You don't even understand what's coming through you. I am going to bring the Savior of the world through your family line. The one whose kingdom knows no end is going to come from your line, David. David you just need to relax and you need to trust me and you need to receive from me and you need to let me be God. Because man, you're trying to get ahead of me right now and I promise if you would just get behind me, I have blessing for you and I have things planned for you that you wouldn't even know to ask for just relax, right? That's our job. Our job is to stay in the posture of constantly receiving from God. We never graduate from that. We never get to the point in our life where it's like, well, yeah, it was grace that carried me for the first 10 years of my relationship with Jesus, but now it's time for me to carry my own weight here in the family of God, right? In fact, now I've been grace that carried me for the first 20 years. Now it's time I need to be a net contributor to the family of God, Right? I, I need to be doing for God. I need to be helping God out. I, I need to be lifting some weight off his shoulders. I need to be helping you a know, guy, he's been around forever. He's getting old. I need to you know, help him out a little bit. No, all we do is receive. And, and the more and more we walk with Jesus, and the more and more we understand what the scripture is calling us to, and the more and more we see our own frailties and our own infirmities and the more and more we see our own weakness, the more and more we realize that the only option we have is to receive from God. Spiritual maturity is when we get over the idea that we have something to offer God and realize that all we can do is receive from God. And that's not meant to depress us. Uh, That's not meant to be like, wait, I, I thought I was special. You are special. You're made in the image of God. You are loved by God. God sent Jesus to die for you. God has a plan for you in his family. God has work that he wants to accomplish through you in his family. Ephesians 2 says God has already prepared good works for you so that you could walk about in them. God has a plan for you that is more majestic than anything you can imagine. It's what he had for David. He said, David, I, I'm not doing things that you wouldn't even believe if you would just get behind me. My, my fear is that we might miss out on that because we're so far ahead of God that we miss out on the things he actually wants to do in our life. So so what do you do if you see some of those warning signs in your life, right? Just assuming that a good thing is a God thing, settling for secondhand spirituality, and doing for God instead of receiving from God. Let let me give you three quick suggestions, and then we're going to pray together and and close in a time of worship. The first thing you need to do, and maybe I'm the only one that needs to hear this, but just relax a little bit, right? Because... I I tend to hear messages like this and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have messed up God's plan for my life. Where am I getting it wrong? Maybe we shouldn't have planted the church. Maybe we shouldn't have had the third kid. I thought we were old and tired and we shouldn't have done that. I don't know. What did I do? What's happening? Oh no, I've messed the whole thing up. Oh, heaven's having to, you know, revise the plan for my life. What's going on? Job 42.2, no plan of God's can be thwarted. Even when you get ahead of God, God is going to use that to discipline, to grow, to mature. He's gonna use it for good, right? So, so some of the times we just need to get over ourselves a little bit and realize we're not capable of throwing heaven a curveball we're, you know, it, 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 we're giving ourselves way too much credit if we get into this like, oh no, what have I done? I'm a mess and oh no and God's really upset and God's bothered and he's having to recalibrate and all, all, all of that. He, God knew that you were gonna get ahead of him and God has a plan for you out there and it is a plan to bring you back and get behind him but it's a plan for your good. And it's a plan that's entirely consistent with all of his purposes. Right, so we do need to take a breath, but we also need to humble ourselves. Right, there's been a theme running through our time this morning that it's a little, I said it was a lot about our relationship with Jesus, our own personal spirituality with Christ, but it is also about our pride. There was not a chance in the world that I was going to get ahead of my cop friend that day because it felt way too dangerous it felt way too vulnerable it felt way too threatening it felt like it had no business being there why is it that we downplay the danger of getting ahead of god especially in light of verses like ephesians 6 verse 12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You, you, we are going to battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who would like to go first? We'll be right behind you. You just lead the way, and we will all be a couple of steps behind you. Have we, craziness. But we settle for such a watered-down, domesticated view of Christianity, of spirituality, and of what the world is really like, that we wake up and we think, man, I got this. I can handle this. My family's healthy. My 401k's in good shape. My bank account's in good shape. Things are rolling at the office. And oh yeah, I might need help one or two places today. God, just a little divine boost from you to get me over the wall, help me to be nice to my kids when I come home at the end of the day. But you know, other than that, God, I pretty much have it under control. That's craziness. And it's the craziness that the Bible calls pride. The, oh, I've got this under control, but Jesus, stick near in case I get in trouble because you definitely need to bail me out. That is pride. It's a sign that we don't really understand what's happening in the world, that we don't understand, if I can say it this way, how, how spiritually dangerous our world is. If we saw that danger for what it is and we saw our weakness for what it is and we saw Christ for his greatness, we'd be like, I would be right behind you, Jesus. You you go first. You lead the way into my office, that place. Woo, hello. You go first, Jesus. You're gonna need to go first into the family reunion. You're, You're gonna need to go first into that conversation. You're gonna need to go first and I'm gonna be right in behind you. I'm gonna be right in behind you and I'm not getting ahead of you at all. We need to develop that kind of trust in him, right? When my kids are in a situation where they're not sure what's happening, you, you, you've got, if you have small kids, if you've had small kids, you've seen it, you've even seen it if you don't have kids. Where do they go? Boom, right behind my leg, right? I mean, they, they can be hiding. We, I, we got three of them, so they kind of have to fight it out. But you know, they, they're like one behind each leg, peeking out, like, I'm not, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on. I'm just stay right behind dad. That, that's how we need to follow Jesus. I'm just right behind Jesus. He, he's, he's, he's between you and me. You can't get to me until you go through him. I, I'm, I'm gonna interact with you through the lens of him. You, Jesus, me. Yeah, I don't wanna do you, me. Jesus, Jesus is right here. And I'm safe and I'm with him. And it's gonna work out because he loves me and he's for me and he has a plan for me and I just wanna get right in behind him. And frankly, what that means for almost all of us is that we need to learn how to shift our weight a little bit. That's the third quick suggestion. And again, maybe I'm the only one in the room that this is helpful for, but I almost always get it wrong when it comes to getting behind God. Here's what I've, what I've noticed about myself. The places where I'm most likely to charge ahead are the places where I most need to slow down and the places where I often slow down are the places where God has been most clear. Right, because I went through a list of things earlier. Like, well, but God does want me to go to church. Yeah, God does want me to learn how to get in the word for myself. He, he does. God does want me to be involved in his mission of making disciples. Yes, right? Those are so often the places where we're like, man, I'm praying about that. I've been thinking about developing a regular prayer life and I'm praying about that. And I think that if Jesus tells I think I will almost always I drag my feet in the places where God's been really clear. But I charge ahead in the places where God has actually been less clear and I need to slow down and I need to ask him. It's kind of this process of learning how to shift my weight. Every time I feel like charging ahead, trying to slow down and say, why don't you actually check in with the Lord first? And sometimes when I feel myself just slowing down and being like, "Oh, I don't know about that, it's like, you know, the answer, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Get busy with that. Oh, yeah, it's true. You've answered that one. Right? Now Maybe I'm the only one who's perpetually on the wrong foot. But my guess is I'm not. And my guess is that describes a lot of us. I tend to speed up when I should slow down, and I tend to slow down when I should speed up. And the only way I've learned to get around that is to be constantly asking the Spirit of God, would you lead me today? And would you make it clear to me today? And would you give me the humility to stay behind you? That's not settling for passivity. That's not saying that your life is not gonna leave a huge wake in the world. It's saying that your strength is found in the waiting. It's saying that your sufficiency is in Christ. And it's saying that you want to be right in behind him. Let me pray that for you, and then we're gonna close in a time of worship. Father, Father, uh, I'm really aware that every single one of us has decisions that we need to make this week, that we need to make today. There are things that we are sorting through. And they're big things. They're, "Do we adopt a kid? Do we move?" do I take the job? Do we transfer? Does mom move in with us? Which school do you want our kids to go to? How, how do you want us to pay that bill? What are you asking of me in this church? How did you design me to advance the kingdom of God here in D.C.? God, am I slowing down any place that you want me to speed up? And am I speeding up any place you want me to slow down? God, these these are big questions. And Father, my prayer this morning is that you would meet each one of us specifically in our uncertainty. And you would show us how this text and how your word and how the spirit of Christ is leading us in this moment. God, give us the wisdom we need. You promise that, God. You promise that if any of us lack wisdom, we simply have to ask and you will provide it for us. Oh, God, give us the faith to believe that you long to lead us. God, give us the faith to believe that you care about us. God, give us the faith to believe that you will point us in the right direction if we will only humble ourselves to ask. And God, I pray that. This week, your spirit would be unusually clear with the members of Grace Hill Church. God, I pray that this might be the week where people get answers to questions they've been carrying around for a while. This might be the week where people hear your spirit say, this is the way, walk ye in it. God, do that, I pray. Do it because you love us, but do it for your glory. Do it that our lives could count for you. Do it to advance your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.